Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Lizard Watch, and I've got my stupendous and, I guess, applauded return uh, of the wonderful, amazing, stupendous Matt Rossi. I'm, I'm welcome back. Like, a week without you here was weird. <laughs> I'm sure you were fine. And you had EJ and Raven, and they're awesome. I'm really sorry I missed that. I'm especially sorry I missed that to be putting this this mess into my house that I now live in, which is still not unpacked after a week. <laughs> Help me. Help me, please. <laughs> There's so much junk. Uh, well, I can't help with that, but I can help by giving you at least a brief distraction, which seems to be something we are generally very good at. At least that's what you at home tell us. Uh, so we're going to be doing a round of questions that you've been sending in for the last yeah, week or so. Um, so thank you very much for sending those in. If you have any questions that you want us to answer about any video games, uh, go ahead and send them in. Uh, even if it's not video games, even if it's just games in general, tabletop game lore, things like that. Uh, nice. we Guys, if you could, please start asking Diablo Immortal questions. I have so many thoughts about this game. Yes. Diablo Immortal questions. Uh, Matt has uh, and I have been talking about uh, the bevy of Warhammer uh, 40K games that are coming out. Yeah. If you guys want to understand what the heck is going on in for Warhammer 40K or in Warhammer in general, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was a really good game. Very much and so. And it, it adapts the Warhammer tabletop uh, fighting game. I don't know what you call this. A skirmish miniature Skirmish. Game, or what would you? Yeah. It's yeah. now it's now a skirmish game, but like it, it, we, I, I, this is something that I have like a lot of knowledge on. Uh, so if it's something you are interested in, either Warhammer Fantasy, Age of Sigmar, Warhammer 40k, Necromunda, any of those games, uh, I have been playing since 1992, give or take. Yeah, something like that. It's been a while, uh, but feel free to ask. So everything's on the table, but that's not what you're here for. Uh, and if you do 
you can send those into questions to our email, which is podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them into one of our various discord channels. We have one for patron uh, supporters, patron Q and podcast questions. We have one for non-supporters as well. Uh, again, please send those in. We look everywhere for them. In fact, a lot of these came from discord. Uh, most of these did actually. So we're going to start with a question from Necroman. Uh, with what we know from Shadowlands, how does the Emerald Dream factor into the resurrection of wild gods and other beings like Cenarius? Cenarius should have gone to Ardenweald when he died, but he was pulled out of the Emerald Dream in Cataclysm. Is the Emerald Dream a point between the Shadowlands and Rebirth, a zone of the Shadowlands, or was Cenarius important enough to have his soul pulled from the stream and inserted back into the dream? Maybe he already got his animo destroyed because he returned before the drought and then was chilling in the dream until Ragnaros started attacking Hyjal. So well, oh, you go on, mommy. I was just going to say this is something that we're going to speculate on because they actually never really address this directly. Um, yeah, and Matt, go right ahead. From what we know from Shadowlands, we have no idea. But that was going to be my first answer because, as Joe pointed out, we're ha- we're going to have to speculate. They do not say how this works. Uh, I would, I'm willing to bet anything that the Emerald Dream is the opposite of. Either the Shadowlands as a whole or Ardenweald in particular. Um, and I think it is, in fact, an, the exact opposite of the Shadowlands. I think the Emerald Dream might be a realm within a larger realm that is, like, for lack of a better word, the Illuminated Lands. I'm calling it that because I got nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's whatever the realm of life, energy, and living things, things, possibility, and things to be born, um, which I think is a realm that is. I had this really weird idea. It's not all that strange, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Uh, the light, as we know it, the force of the light is not life. Mm-hmm. They're different forces. Uh, light is certainly something that causes brightness, but it is also something that is not particularly interested in potentiality. And I think that life is born out of the conflict between light and shadow. It is. In fact, light is all about potential possibility. Uh, burgeoning things, new growth, new life, new possibilities. So I think we're going to eventually get an idea of this new realm that the Emerald Dream touches upon in much the way that Ardenweald is part of the Shadowlands. Uh, I think that the Emerald Dream is simultaneously part of Azeroth and part of this higher realm. It's like a like a gap. Like If you use D&D cosmology, I would say it would be something akin to the Feywild. Uh, the Feywild and the Shadowfell both touch on the Prime Material Plane. They're not part of it, but they intersect with it. They have like a boundary condition between them. And so I think that that's something we're going to find out. I definitely think that it's quite possible that for using Scenarius, since you use Scenarius, Scenarius might well have gone to Ardenweald, been, been, re, been replenished Anima, and then sent to the Emerald Dream to be reborn, for lack of a better word. Uh, and that might have been where Ursok would have gone if he hadn't died. Again, I mean, I, what do you call that when you when you don't get your anima fed to you? Um, you're already dead. Do you just you stop existing entirely? You know, yeah. Whatever. Repurposed is what I've been calling it. But I definitely think that the uh, Emerald Dream is is a part of the process. I think the two realms are are like antipodal to each other, for lack of a better word. Um, and I definitely think we're going to see more about that at some point. I don't know if we're going to see anything more about it in Dragonflight. 
Um, Dragonflight seems to be pretty focused on the dragon thing. Although, you know, we're going to have Melithra. I'm sorry, Merithra, I think. Merithra of the Dawn uh, of the Dream. And she's going to be the the representative of the green dragon flight. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen with her story. Well, we know that the green dragons are tied to the dream. I'm going to let you talk now. I was going to say, it's also specifically called out in one of the last things that happens in 9.2.5 in some of the, uh, the closing things and mild spoilers. If you haven't logged in the game in like two weeks. Uh, but when you log in, there is a quest to go talk with the winter queen about, what happened in Ardenweld and you are going to meet Ysera, her crew uh, and, and Taronda and her crew. And there's a lot that's encapsulated in that, that kind of gives us a little bit of a hint potentially. Um, and this is something that I've been thinking about very similar to Matt. And I think that the Emerald dream, I think he's, he's right. I think it touches a different realm, but if anything, I think Ardenweld and the dream are positioned <sighs> In 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 a lot of mythology, the places of there are places that touch or very nearly touch on different planes. Uh, this is a D and D concept that's gone back forever. This exists in actual Chinese mythology, uh, Korean mythology that like realms of life and death have points where they almost touch, where it's like the snake almost catching its tail. Um, and it almost appears like Ardenweld and the dream are kind of those points. If that makes sense, they're close enough to be within like a stone's throw of each other, but they don't actually intersect. And they are the furthest points of their relative realms because even Ardenweld is much different than any of the other realms we see, even though we know there's infinite realms. I'm not saying it's the only point that touches something else, but those two seem to be very, very closely related. And that seems to be by design. Well, I mean, one of the things that reminds me of is, of all things, Halloween. Yes. The concept of Halloween is basically that that is the point in the world where the the, the, the veil, veil between you know life and death is is that it's thinnest, and that's a big part of what we see with the Drust and the Drust and- Druidism, and we see that again in Ardenweald, like when we get that that old Drust Druid to help us against the Drust who are invading. But um, so well, the, there's ahead. a reason I bring this up, though, is because I think that there is a, a level of transition between the Emerald Dream and Ardenweld that operates a little bit different than the normal cycle of life and death. And I think Ursoc actually gives us the hint of this in the short in in what was happening in those those cinematics before we actually got Shadowlands, because when we finish the Emerald Dream when you are done with that raid, when you are done and you have purged the nightmare and broken it down into the little void rose that is there, you are greeted by the spirit of Ursoc and Ysera. They haven't transitioned, but by the time we get to Shadowlands, they have. Why is that? Because we assume that they would rest in the Emerald Dream until they were able to be reborn. But if I think there is a level of it, like the Emerald dream may actually have almost like an anima cache or may have a certain amount of it that it can take in. And all of these beings dying, all these extreme beings dying at the same point is too much for it to bear. Cause think about it. The wild gods generally don't necessarily die all at the same time. It's usually one or two, maybe, but in this case you have, dragon aspect that's inherently tied to the realm. You have Ursoc, who's a wild god and who's inherently tied to the realm. You have 
all the stuff that happened with Cenarius, who's inherently tied to that realm, plus the drain that the nightmare was causing on it for that entire time, plus all the other green dragons that were corrupted by the nightmare and everything else that we were dealing with, it's entirely possible that Cenarius got everything that was left. And so he was able to sort of stick around. He may have been deemed the most important to be pushed back. That well, it's also important to remember that Ysera is not a wild one, a wild, a wild god. Yep. So Ysera's fate was entirely different from the start. And we know that Ysera ended up where she did entirely because Elune sent her there. Uh-huh. So if Elune were to look at this, at this realm of light, perhaps this this far pocket of the realm of light, because we know Elune can, can look into these places, and this seems to be somewhat inter- reinforced with what happens in the catching up with Tehrand cinematic, um, Elune sent them to Ardenweld to recover because they might not have been able to otherwise. She had no idea there was an anima drought going on, or they had no idea that there was an anima drought going on. They had no idea that everything was going directly to the Maw, yet somehow, despite all those souls going directly to the Maw, Ysera and Ursak wound up in Ardenweld, right? So there's a lot of things that were happening during that time frame, like in between them dying and Argus dying. And then there was just not enough. So I think they would have been pushed back. I think they would have gotten recharged and then pushed back to be reborn through uh, the Emerald Dream, potentially. Maybe not Ysera, but definitely Ursoc and definitely Cenarius. So I think there's a level of that. And I think there might be a flow of anima between Ardenweld and the Emerald Dream. And I think that might have been disrupted by the Nightmare and why the Nightmare specifically was targeting it. Because we know the Void understands what's happening in the Shadowlands. It's not too much of a, a, a jump to say that they would understand if they look at the Emerald Dream. Oh, there's some of that tasty, tasty power here. Let's go and munch on it a little bit. So that's my two cents on it, at least. Or something that I've been thinking about, at least in that regard. Does that make sense? Does any of that make sense to you, Matt? I mean, it makes sense. We, we just... The we problem have no is, idea. Is we have, yeah, we have no idea. Um, but I definitely think we're going to see more. I just don't know when the, the thing Joe is talking about, by the way, the, uh, the Toronto epilogue, I haven't gotten to see it yet. Cause I just got my computer working. Well, so, I'm intentionally trying to be vague about it. Cause I well, want no, Matt I, to experience I, I, it. I went and looked it up. Okay. Um, cause I always feel like I should know, even if I haven't gotten around to playing it yet. I, I do. Th- I do want to say that. I think that's something we'll see kind of as like a B story, mm-hmm. maybe in the background in Dragonflight. Uh, but it's interesting. Well, especially because the seed given to Taronda has a lot of implications, right? Is it going to grow a new world tree? Is it going to heal the pain of the Emerald Dream? Because we know that the world trees extend into the dream. We know that for a fact. We That was one of the reasons why certain locations were targeted in the nightmare, right? Or, or turned into the nightmare. So there's more, and we are going to find out more, and I think it is going to be maybe a B-plot in Dragonflight, and I'm kind of okay with it because we speculated beforehand that Dragonflight's going to cover a lot of like the gaps that we've had with the specifically with the dragons for a while, which makes sense. And this is one of them, not just because yeah, of scenarios. Yeah, this is green the dragon stuff. Yeah, Emerald, the Emerald Dream is 100 dragon of green dragon stuff. So, yeah. Anything else to add to that before we move on? Nope, I think we're good. All right. This next one comes from Shock T. Uh, who's a fire mage from Shihalo. 
Uh, I recently finished War Crimes and I'm completely lost as to the mo- motivation of Rathion's actions. That he's a black dragon and it's in their nature is not only a cop-out, but clearly not the case given Ebonhorn and Rathion's own actions in BFA. I recall it being said somewhere that he saw the Horde as the cause of Azeroth's problems, and I guess maybe, but how does sending Garrosh to an alternate timeline solve that? Is there a source that I may have missed that explains all this comics, books, or quest lines? Yes, they did explain um, this, actually. Yeah. Oh, you go ahead then, dude. Um, I was going to let you go because I talked for a bit. No, no, you go because I want to hear what you're going to say. I mean, the explanation from Rathion himself is that he messed up, but he was trying to help generate another army to strengthen Azeroth's defenses by going back in time and tr- or like not him going back in time, but trying to get the horde like that. This would have worked out in a beneficial way for us. But he's still a baby at that point. He's still making decisions, even if he has all the genetic memories that aren't exactly the most sound. And it wasn't really until Battle for Azeroth uh, and really towards the end of Battle for Azeroth that he really kind of started growing up about it, if that makes sense, which is why you see a different version of him. Also, the fact that he has not interacted with any other uncorrupted black dragons of any type or really any of the dragon flights for any at all kind of skews that. If that makes sense, so there's a there's also some other things to think about in terms of what Rathion's motivation was. First off, it was that he was at the um, in the, the near the middle part of Mists of Pandaria. He was exposed to the essence of Li Shen, mm-hmm. which was the power that Li Shen had stolen from Raden, which was itself something that he had gained when he was possessed by Amonthul. Titan touch all the way down. Uh, so when Rathian was exposed to it, you, you, if you remember the whole thing about, you know, we must rebuild the final Titan. Uh, we still don't quite know what that means. And if it means Azeroth or not, we're pretty sure it does, but we, you know, we've had a lot to think about since, but he was reeling from that implication. And he even says, if you, if you go all the way through mists and you do uh, siege of Orgrimmar, he flat out admits he was trying to get the horde destroyed so that the Alliance would conquer the entirety of Azeroth and unite it to fight the Legion. That's what his goal was. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't, not because he hated the Horde, but because he felt like the Alliance had the better hierarchy for the purpose of defending the world from the Legion. Better structure. Yeah. Yeah. And it just would have made more sense. It's like, like the Alliance, if the Horde had won, it's quite possible that under Garrosh, they'd have wiped out their enemies. Because Garrosh wasn't, you know, interested in working with anybody. If the Alliance had won, they might have killed a few leaders, but they weren't going to genocide the Torrin. You know, they weren't going to burn the orcs at the stake. They, they, you know, probably would have eventually brought them into the Alliance in some form. And that would have been a, you know, building on the idea that he had a few years before the Legion would show up. He was hoping that that would be the outcome and he could work from there. But that's not what happened because, you know, uh, Anduin's, you know, I want to say example to his father was such that he didn't do the thing that Rathion expected him to do. He didn't kill Garrosh and say, yeah. you guys, you know, you, you're under us now. He he backed off. He was like, you know, we did what we came to do and we're leaving. And that left the Horde intact. And Rathion did not expect that. So... When you go into like why he uh, he worked with uh, Kairos, 
it's very much a case of he didn't particularly like Kairos or trust Kairos, but he saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have that, that unified Azeroth that he was hoping for, but he could go to a place that had a potential for a unified army. Except when he got there, he realized it wasn't close enough. Like you see, like at one point he goes and he shows up at an Alliance base and that base ends up getting destroyed by a necromancer. And he's like, this place is not right. It's, it's too far off from what I was going for. It's not just like the, the Draenor that I know about. It's not like the one my father went to. There's differences and it's, in he inadvertently, in his way, he inadvertently caused the Legion invasion to happen earlier. Um, if you think about it, Baratheon helping Kairos meant that Garrosh escaped, which meant that he went to that world, which meant that they then built a new portal and attacked our world, which meant that we went to their world, which meant that in the end, Gul'dan summoned Archimonde, and Archimonde mm-hmm. sent that Gul'dan to our world, causing the Legion invasion. So it's a big chain of dominoes, and in so observing it, you know, one of the things that it taught Rathion was that, yes, you're smart. Yes, you're powerful. You do not see everything. You can make mistakes. And you'll notice that he, he sort of backs off from the Legion and focuses all of his attention on the old gods. Yeah. That's what he's focused on right yep. now. And that change comes about because of what he did and it started because of his with, mistakes. With, yeah. Yeah. But it started while he was in Draenor. He started looking because Draenor doesn't have nearly as many old gods directly on it. It's got void beings and shadow beings, but it doesn't have multiple old gods sleeping in it. Like, so he could study it without as much threat to himself. Mm-hmm. And he started figuring out that's the whole reason Ebonhorn is safe now, is because Rathion did that. It was very much. We, we keep forgetting that, you know, not only is he a young dragon, but he's a young dragon. Yeah. Dragons don't think like we do. No. Their thought processes are very different. They think on a different level. Not just, this is not a question of intelligence. If you know you're going to live 3,000 years or more, I mean, some of the some of the dragons, not even the aspects, just the dragons, like Aranicus. Aranicus lived from the sundering to now he only died a couple years ago fighting the nightmare you know these are beings that can live very long lives they take an extremely long view of things and it's natural to them it's innate it's not like the night elves who yes elves live a long time but the immortality they were given was not innate to them it wasn't a part of who they were. They had to learn to adapt to it. And in the end, when they lost it, it doesn't really matter. Like they're still who they were with dragons. They, this is an innate part of their being. Mm-hmm. So Rathion's had a lot to, to get used to in a very short amount of time. It's only been like what? 10 years since cataclysm in game. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. So the fact that he is essentially a 10 year old, dragon he'd still probably be a whelp i don't even think he'd be a drake yet no he'd definitely be a whelp yeah but so, i mean artificial intelligence uh push up like right like there, no, there's, yeah, a, there's a bit stuff. of that yeah yeah so there's a lots of stuff to it but it is well actually like, no canonically he is not a whelp anymore he his, is now a drake his, his form is that of a drake because uh, at okay. the end of battle for azeroth that is the form he takes 
Yeah, he's but that a large mean, Drake. Necessarily mean that that's. Th- I'm not saying that he isn't a Drake. I'm saying if he weren't going through all the stuff he's been through, mm. like the whole egg purification deal, the whole you know, Arathion's birth, his genesis and birth were not normal. Oh, not even by any yeah. means. Yeah. So it's quite possible that if he, I don't know when Welps grow to Drake status. It's quite possible that he'd be a Drake naturally, but at any rate. But also before that, he yeah. was showing up as a whelp. Like even uh, even yeah. in uh, any other time in we saw mist. him, he was a in mist. And any other time we had seen him, he was a whelp form. But in Battle for Azeroth, he has definitely grown up a bit. Not just yeah. with that wonderful, fabulous hair that I wish I had. Yeah, he's also you know he's he's actually concerned about Ebonhorn. Yes, like he actually displays concern because you know you're the only family I have basically. Um, and there's no reason he would know that there are other black dragons like still out there in other worlds because he's not been to those worlds. You know, he's not been to Outland. He doesn't know about Sablemane. Sablemane has not come back. It's quite possible Sablemane will never come back. And as long as he doesn't, there's no reason that black dragons on Azeroth would know anything about him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's quite possible for Sablemane that it's like, why would I go back there? where the old gods are everywhere where I can just stay here and I don't have to worry about them. You know, I'm not saying he stable means a good person, uh, but he might very well not want to risk having his mind controlled. So yeah. But in terms of why Rathion did what he did, his motivation was as it always has been from the beginning was to basically save the world. It's just that he's very, a dragon about it. Yeah. And that's very a really young, good way of putting it. Dragon about it. So yeah. Yeah, so hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but like I said, it is something that they did address. It is something that he himself did address because he was called out on it at one point. So our next question comes from Mink. Uh, this might be a little bit lorry, but okay. Do we foresee any inherent faux pas issues in using traditional draconic naming conventions for the Drakir? Uh The examples given are Straza, Dormu, Gosa, etc. So we've talked about this before. There is a sort of naming convention that each of the dragon flights have sort of adopted. Um, but I don't know that there would be anything that would indicate uh, any sort of faux pas with that. Um, plus the drag fear are not necessarily part of those dragon flights. Uh, and we've seen other uh, dragon like creatures or dragon. We, we talked about this in the, the le- quote unquote lesser dragon flight episode uh, where there are sort of draconoids and like the, I can never remember the names of them. And I, uh, the, the dragon centaur type things. Yeah. I, I we looked that up that time too. And I don't remember <laughs> it. it's such a weird thing, uh, but like they don't follow those normal naming conventions either. And that I think is intentional. So I don't think that there is necessarily a hard lore reason not to use those names, but I do think that in game, anything that is not part of one of the true dragon flights or part of the the main dragon flight generally doesn't adopt their naming schemes. At least that's what I've been saying. Do you have do you have any thoughts on that, Matt, or any ideas? First off, it's a dragon spawn. I looked it up. Dragon spawn, um, yes. Because thank you. I, I looked up Dracosath because it was, was gonna bother up. us. It really was. Yeah. Uh secondly, I I don't necessarily think they would have such names. Um Speaking for myself, lore-wise, if you want to have such a name and name your character that, who who gonna stop you? You know, as as long as if unless Blizzard puts a thing in saying you can't do it, go ahead. I've seen people do that with characters who aren't even remotely dragons. So, sure, have fun, do what you want. 
I don't think that they would, you know, in terms of actual canon lore, though, Drakthir are not dragons. They have a dragon component to them. They're dragon-like. They're essentially dragon-born from D&D with a, with a nice new cone of paint on them, but they're not dragons. So it would be odd for them to have those kind of names. Uh, it doesn't, unless when Neltharion made them, he named some of them that way. And we know that he did. We know that Neltharion created them. Um, so when when we get in there and see what the NPCs are named, you'll have a better idea. But I doubt that he did that. Um, it just does not feel like a... For, for that matter, since Neltharion was the one who named them, the, the Black Dragonflight doesn't use those kind of names. Like, I mean, some of them are, but like Sinestra, Nefarian, Sablemane, uh, Sablemane, well, Sabellian is his actual name. Sabellion, yes. Yeah, Sabellian, uh, Anixia, uh, Neltharian. These are not OSX type names. They're they're different. They have their own naming convention. If he named them, would he have named them that? I don't know. I have no idea. We we have not it's- seen yet. It's also possible that it's a sign of reverence for the lineage that comes beforehand as well, mm-hmm. uh, which the Black Dragonflight really don't have at this point. So it would make sense that they don't necessarily have it. Um, so this yeah, could be a conscious choice. You know, yeah, but he didn't like Neltharion didn't name his direct children that like the ones before he went crazy because uh, while right, you know, Neltharion and Anixia are clearly after he had children before. Uh, Sabellian is much older than they are, and his name is just Sabellian. Mm-hmm. So it's it is very difficult to even say. Um, and if you look at the other things that Deathwing named since, clearly his modern naming conventions are not like what was his name? Altraxion. Altraxion. Yeah, Altraxion. Altraxion. Not not a very typical dragony name. So I don't know. I don't think lore-wise that you should necessarily expect it to happen, but I also don't necessarily think it would be completely out of the pale if if they might take such names to honor something. I don't know. I don't think it makes a lot of... I don't think it basically fits the established canon yet, is what I'm going to say. And this next question comes from Lord Soth. Question for Blizz or Lore. Although it's mostly a lore question. I was running my priest through Karazhan for some transmog farming and noticed in the Guardian's library where you fight the Shade of Iran that the books on the bookshelves in the room were gigantic, like easily taller than the tallest PCs in the game. So, who wrote or used those books? Thanks, Lord Soth. So, I mean, my simple answer is... I think magic is really at play here. I mean, Karazhan is this weird place where everything operates outside of the normal confines of reality. I mean, even the new Karazhan. Old Karazhan was definitely like, uh, definitely weird and was definitely bigger on the inside. And I mean, heck, you went through different places that should not have been able to exist in that skinny tower. The new Karazhan bends that even to a greater extent. There's actually a section in there where you get shrunk down and you're fighting things like rats. So space, reality, physics, I don't think Karazad really cares about that. Do you, Matt? I really thought I'd get this fight in before you were done talking. <laughs> it wouldn't be a lore watch if I didn't interrupt you while you were taking a bite. Okay, I have three answers for this one. All right. First semi-serious answer. Karazan is a tower that erupted out of nowhere 
and is traveling back in time. Which means, as far as we're concerned, Karazhan started existing at one point and then just exists. But in Karazhan's reality, Karazhan, the, the moment where Karazhan started existing for us is the end of Karazhan. That's when it was destroyed. And the tower will continue to exist until it is created. And I mean, at some point, it may slowly be taken down as it is unbuilt. We don't know how that's going to work. But we know that that's how Karazhan exists. So it's quite possible that in the future, gigantic elephant people <laughs> built a library. Um, another possibility is that since Karazhan is a tower inhabited by a human mage, uh, and clearly that human mage had access to knowledge of other parts of Azeroth that are not, were not common to people in the Eastern Kingdoms, um, like Northrend, where the Vrykul live, who are our ancestors, the ancestors of modern humans in, in what, the Warcraft setting. It's quite possible some of those books were written by Vrykul, who are, some of them are 20, 30 feet tall. Um, some of those books might be Titan books, uh, or, you know, wrought, written down by Titanforge, or copied from Titan archives. I mean, there's a book in there that tells you about the relationship between Elune and the Naru. You know, isn't that it also Cadgar found that book one day? Isn't so. it also canonical that like Medivh traveled the different planes of existence or different worlds? Like we don't know exactly the extent of his otherworldly travels. Yeah, we don't know anything about that. We have no, we know very little about what he was doing. Uh, but so yeah, that's possible too. Another possibility though, and I always bring this up, so I'm going to bring it up again. Is casters need some excuse for being so incredibly swole? <laughs> They're never letting this go. They don't, they don't ponder their orbs with weak, like, non-muscular arms. That's just not a thing. Look, even Cadgar is the most jacked human being. If you met the, the Cadgar model was walking the street in front of your house, you would think that dude was a bodybuilder. He makes most, like, player character orcs look small by comparison. Yeah, Cadgar is huge. Are, these guys are jacked up. I mean, every, in every player mage, ro- go ahead and roll a human mage right now. Roll a male one, of course, because WoW has this thing where it doesn't understand ladies can have muscles. Um, orc, orc ladies got them, but you know, human women can have muscles, dude. Uh, trust me. Uh, but seriously, go just roll a human mage and just walk around and like take their robe off and look at them. Then feel weird about doing that because that's strange. But nevertheless, <laughs> big uh, orc mages. They are orcs have mages now. Big orc warlocks, except for Gul'dan, huge. Even um, younger Gul'dan was like depicted as being like yeah, you yeah, know, younger Gul'dan. Younger Gul'dan was definitely like a big orc. He was a swole little boy. But I mean, like, uh, Nirzul, who was the elder shaman. Ju- Warlords of Draenor, up. just look at Gold, uh, at, uh, at, um, Nirzul in the, yeah. in that, in the dungeon. Holy heck. That dude, you know, in between his shamanic duties, the dude is picking up rocks with magic stuff carved on him because there's no other reason to explain this. Uh, but yeah, like all of them, every, every caster class. Yeah. So I'm, the books are so huge so they can get all beefed up. It's their, it's their fitness program <laughs> they, they knew they weren't going to have any time to like actually lift weights or get into fights so they were just literally picking up these giant heavy books and carrying them over to a table and then bong dropping them down and then each page made of lead <laughs> so yeah that's yeah. that's my less serious answer and, and there's like there's other options too right we don't know what beings were invited into the tower of the guardian of karazan at any point in time we don't know what creatures may have 
bartered in knowledge. Cause that's the thing that we know about Medivh as well is he was not above bartering, whether he was possessed by Sargeras or not. That's another thing. He had the soul of Sargeras in him at one point that that's not exactly a small creature living inside of him. Um, there's a lot of really strange things tied up with Medivh and Karazhan that could easily explain the giant books. Um, there is also a possibility that by the power of magic, those large books could be resized depending on who was, you know, sort of what, interacting with them, who pulled them off the shelves or who was reading them. You know, maybe it turns gnome size when a gnome has it in their hands. Maybe it turns giant size when a Titan decides to watch it or want, want to read it. There's a ton of things that could do that. We also know that Medivh had, and I remember had a Titan construct, Titan Watcher, had the Maiden of Virtue in yeah. Karazhan as well, right? Yeah, just like, just like Aranaya, looked just like her. And that and that was a huge being as well. Uh, easily, you know, 10, 12, 13 feet tall as far as that goes. So bigger than a Vicryl, very easily. Uh, it's always fun to think about, like, when you go back through places like Karazhan specifically, and just kind of take a look at like some of the weird physics bending property. And I know you mentioned this before that also some of it could just be art asset, like just sticking with the theme of when mm-hmm. it was created. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things about it, if you, if you remember going back to Carazon is at the time it was made, the original Carazon before, before burning crusade came out, the tower existed. They were already working on it, which means they were working on it with the engine that the game launched with in 2004. The visuals in Burning Crusade are really impressive. They're about as far as you could push that without an update. And Karazhan is about the most complex dungeon they built. Just in terms of verticality, think about how how much up you go in Karazhan. Yeah. We never had a dungeon. We had just kept going up like that. So... And there's whole areas where, like, the, 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 the walls literally just vanish. They kind of, like, you suddenly are in, like, a void. They're, and the, the room in question, when, you, when you're doing Shade of Iran, the books have to be pretty big because you're not anywhere near them. I mean, you guys remember Flame Wreath, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody move when Flame Wreath comes up or else you blow the raid up. And, Do I you mean, remember the song? I don't remember the song. I don't remember the song, but I remember I I, I remember we had remember to sing a song, song to get the existed. timing. Yeah, yeah. There was a weird thing, and some of the old like Burning Crusade raiders will remember it because boss mods weren't a thing yet. They weren't really; they were just coming into existence. Yeah, there were some like bare bones things, but real bare bone like things. Uh, so like you basically had to sing a children's song and it was exactly the right timing for when you can move and not move with flame wreath. That's neither here nor there. That's a game lore thing. Um, but there's also other things too. Like there's a dragon inside of Karazhan. There's an, uh, the, the nether dragon, right? Mm-hmm. He's and, a nether dragon. How did he get there? Yeah. They didn't even have nether dragons before. You know what I mean? It was like, huh? Like according I mean, to seriously, how we, did he get there? You don't know. We have no idea. There's ethereals there. The nether dragon was always weird. We, we didn't talk about this during the dragon episode, but like you, like you said, we don't know how it got there. We don't know how long it's been there. Was it there from the time of its destruction moving backwards in time? Because at during that time, we hadn't had contact with really with Outland as much yet. We had just learned of their existence. And there's two armies staked out at the Dark Portal at this point in time. So was there another portal from Outland? We know that, again, that Medivh tra- was possibly traveling between worlds. 
possibly between dimensions. So did he just befriend another Drake and just be like, Hey, you want to come live in my library? Like, and why would the dragon agree? Maybe the books are that size because the dragon is literally down the road. Um, yeah. I mean, for that matter, I mean, there's, when you go up high enough, you, you step out into the roof area, which is in another dimension. Yeah. And that's where uh Jiraxis shows up. Not Jiraxis. Is Jiraxis? Which one is the guy no, on Dura- top of the- Dura- uh, Prince, uh, Prince Mal- Malchazar. Malchazar. Yeah, Jiraxis yeah. is the other one. Okay, yeah. But when you- Prince Malchazar shows up, he even says, all dimensions, all realities are open to me. Like, you're not- it- Like, the Nether Dragon could have gotten in there from the roof. Um, I mean, he's pretty big, but for all we know, he could change shape. Most dragons seem to be able to. So did he, like, turn into something else? Did Medivh, like, go into that other dimension, make contact with him? You know, we know Cadgar was in that dimension at one point, knowing that the tower exists backwards in time, maybe way back when Cadgar first got to Draenor and after it got blown up, maybe Cadgar met, a, a you know, another dragon. We have no idea, but we just know it's there. So we don't know why the books are big is really what it boils down to, but it's it, it there's infinite possibility because it's Karazhan mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. of everything that's tied up with Karazhan. Which is also why Karazhan remains one of my favorite dungeons, favorite raids. Like it was not only was it ahead of its time in terms of the scope of what you were doing there and the sheer variety of the we're going to call them biomes, like the biomes that it represented. It became a modern blueprint for dungeon or for raids moving forward in later expansions like. So there are some weird artifacts of the art design because of that. Even when they redid it, they tried to retain a lot of that feeling of it because that's one of Karazhan's biggest lore points is mm-hmm. like like Matt pointed out, Melchizar, all things are open to me, all dimensions, all, all places in time. Well, why is that? Is it because it's at a nexus of ley lines, which we know it is? Uh, is it because it's at a weird interdimensional nexus, which we talked about in one of the other questions, where there are places where yeah, like maybe you were talking the veil is thin? The, yeah, go you were ahead. talking about the new uh, the new Karazhan. At the end of the new Karazhan, you go up and there's a freaking legion ship just in that void, just floating above it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and it's just it's you know the, there's that space isn't space, you know it's it's the pure twisting nether. The twisting nether is right above Karazhan. Like you can, if you go in Karazhan and go to the top by the end of the, the trip up, you are in the twisting nether, and that's terrifying because we can see the top of Karazhan. Mm-hmm. You know, but nevertheless, it's not there. You know what I mean? That that's think about this for a second. So yeah, nether spite. That's another possibility. All sorts of things could be coming in and out of that tower. So. I mean, in fact, we know at one point when Cadgar went back there, there was a freaking Dreadlord in there, which means the Shadowlands know about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, yeah. that's true. The and before we know, the brokers had dealings with him. We don't know. We know the brokers have dealings with lots of other people in the material world. And the brokers having dealings with them might be why the Ethereals are so interested in that place. Because even though the Ethereals have been around. Like, they really haven't shown an interest in necessarily knowledge, although they definitely seem to have a broker-like quality to them. And almost, and we've posited this before, that there might be a rivalry there and why they're so angry that we show up. Because they're definitely, when we find them, at least in 1.0, the Ethereals are in the library. 
they're in like they're just outside of where the dragon is, which is just out. It's the library. It's right near the same yeah, it's, same place. It's Shade in of the Ron library. Is yeah, it's it, they're still there, as far as I know. And I was there fairly recently. And the um, books are just strewn all over the place. What are they looking for? Because they're there's looking also, for something. The weirdest part is that there's friendly ethereals in there too. There's, there's ethereals one. who are there's one friendly. You. Yeah, yeah, but he's there. True. So there's there's possibility of competing ethereal factions. In the live in the the, the Karazhan Tower, that's already that's even weirder. Now we put in the fact that for all we know the brokers are involved. You know, there's there's a ton of options. I think, however, we are starting to drift way out of the spoke of this question, like way out of it, like super far. Uh, yeah, we we definitely are. But hopefully that answers your question, Lord Soth. We're probably going to wind up revisiting this in a tinfoil hat episode at some point because now the wheels are spinning of all the weird things that could be connected to Karazhan. Mm-hmm. Damn you, Lord Soth. Damn you. Uh, <laughs> our Never next, trust the Soth. <laughs> our next question comes from Fuzz. Uh, it's been discussed that we are a little tired of these huge other world catastrophic threats to Azeroth, and I'm hoping that we don't get more of that in Dragonflight, but I was wondering what lore slash previous threats would you like to see the Dragonflight tie into? Old God, since the Dragon Graveyard is right by one, uh, Lords with the idea that the dragons come from or have to do with the elemental plane. Well, m- spoilers on the table. This is the second time we're recording this part of the podcast and Matt brought up mm-hmm. something and I'm totally going to steal it from him here because it was exactly what I was going to say anyway. Last time I really, truly want to see the storylines from the, L- the, the class order halls from Legion be become revisited. There is a ton of loose ends. Matt pointed out the shaman one and the more I've been thinking about it, it is really one of the most egregiously open-ended ones that there is. At the Shaman Order Hall, part of the story is that to become the Farseer, you are essentially whipping the elemental planes uh, into like some form of order. You're going through appointing uh, folks to new lords of fire and new lords of air, because if you remember correctly, we kill them, we destroy them in their elemental plane so they can't exist. Neptalon randomly shows up after being kidnapped by a giant squid, um, never explaining how he got free, never explaining what happened. That's a huge loose end right there. That squid that was working for an old god, mind you. Uh, but we just kind of give him back the, the elemental plane of water. Uh, I can never remember Therizane in, uh, the, in stone core, just kind of like, doesn't want anything to do with us. Her realm's sort of okay after we get done helping her, but she agrees to help us anyway. And the firelands is just a chaotic mess. Even after we appoint somebody after battling half of the firelands. Yeah. I, I, I seem to recall like one of the options is Lord Ryolith. One of the options is Lord Ryolith. One of the options is uh, the uh, Pit Fiend looking uh, guy. Yeah, or, no, the Doom Fiend, the Doom Lord looking guy, uh, yeah. which is the one that you ultimately kind of put in charge. And then that has consequences later where the Firelands rebels against him and then it never gets resolved. Like you go in and you break up the rebellion, but then nothing else happens. Like those are huge plot points. And especially with that, because like now what's happening with those elementals, they're sort of allied to us because of everything that happened, but they're sort of not. So are they still on our side? We didn't see them at all throughout battle for Azeroth, even though things were going down in their domains, especially like Neptalon. Neptalon wasn't hanging out with us, even though we're sitting there going after, you know, 
uh, Ejara in her own realm, her realm that's under the water. Didn't do anything with that. Is he still working for Nizoth? Was he brainwashed, corrupted? There's all sorts of things like that. Matt, I know you were talking about some of the other ones, but like, go ahead and, and jump in here. Well, I mean, one of the ones I have that has nothing to do with this and yet is tangentially related to it is McGather Grim Totem. Yep. Who I've wanted to see back since the end of Cataclysm. Because she's just so been kind of gone, see, right? Yeah. Last time we see her in Cataclysm, she's in Thousand Needles. She's going after some elemental artifact. She gets it, and that's it. Like, she uses us to get it, gets it, and and pieces out. And that's the last time we see the person that essentially killed Kane, you know, Karen Bloodhoof. I mean, where is she? What is she doing? Are, do the Grim Totems still follow her? What's going on with Magatha Grim Totem and her giant elemental MacGuffin? I want to know. And I think, like, Dragonflight seems like a good expansion for that because, A... Uh, we have this whole elemental unrest thing happening where like there's the elemental dragons are going nuts apparently and there's half elemental giants attacking. Also, since after Battle for Azeroth, the ley lines are returning to full strength. Yeah. That's why the Dragon Isles are getting their magic back, because the ley lines are healing after what Malagos did when he ripped them all to the Nexus. They're all going back to where they're supposed to be. Wouldn't that be a good time for somebody who's doing weird elemental magic to show up and do something weird and elemental? It just feels like this is a person who really needs to come back. Like, especially since she was such a good villain. She was like, she was one of those villains, even more than Sylvanas, who did evil things and you knew they were evil things and you were opposing them, but you couldn't do anything about her because she was right there in Thunder Bluff hanging out. And Karen knew she was up to no good, but he was like, I'm watching her. Uh, I, I, it's better to have her here. And that didn't work out for him at all. And now she's still, years after she had basically arranged for Karen's death, she's out there. I think it is time to see what's up with that. Is she, like the last time we dealt with her, she wasn't our friend, but she wasn't actually directly antagonistic to us. Well, and this this comes to a thing that we talked about often, is this idea that we've been gone for a certain period of time and not been paying attention to the other happenings of Azeroth. So like, in battle for Azeroth, we were sort of occupied with what was happening with that particular region, but not really what was happening back home, right? And we weren't really concerned with anything that was going on in the shadows because we were hyper-focused on old god threats and going to those specific regions. And then right after battle for Azeroth, where do we wind up going? Another plane of existence? We haven't been home in a, in a hot minute. I think the last time Magatha was seen was like Legion, wasn't she? Or did yeah. she pop up in Battle for Azeroth? No, she she popped up in Legion because she agreed in the order. She was part of the Order Hall stuff very briefly because you she's in the Order Hall under heavy guard. Um, but also that heavy guard includes Neptalon watching her. But if Neptalon is corrupted and possibly working for the old god Nazoth, that doesn't mean anything, right? So that's another, that's why like Magatha er, is, she's a good loose end to explore at some point because maybe she was doing something on the back end with Nazoth. And if Nazoth wanted to be killed, shaman are really, really good at that whole talking with dead things. Like that's a whole key component of their, their story and background, like talking to spirits and their ancestors and stuff. So Understanding how the world works, infecting the world, doing something like that, pushing the spirit where it's supposed to be, helping him or being forced into service. Yeah, mm -hmm. th that, that's another option. But like, and sh she's always been shifty as far as that goes. 
But yeah, like that's a loose end. That's a huge loose end. Uh, and a really good I mean, for the, the elemental artifact she found is called the Doomstone. It is the Doomstone, yeah. Come on! Yeah. And I mean, and she's not the only loose end, too. Like, uh, the, no, like I mentioned the Death Knights. The Death Knights, with the, especially the now Death that we're... Thing with the they, they turned one of the greatest uh, dragon of red dragons, red dragons of life. They turned him into an undead, you know, pony. So, yeah. Yeah, and then the look at Lothraxian, too. And we, like... We haven't seen Lethraxian in a while, uh, not since the end of that Order Hall shenanigans. But yep, what is what has they been? What have they been I up to? I think he's actually on the ship when we go to Argus. Yes, yeah, he is. He's actually on the ship when we go to Argus, Lethraxian. If you don't know who Lethraxian is, Lethraxian is a dreadlord, but one who supposedly converted to the light and now serves, you know, the side of good, except. In Shadowlands, we find a thing basically saying outright that the Dreadlords have infiltrated the light and that it wasn't even hard. Mm-hmm. And we're like all, wait a minute, who do we know who's a Dreadlord who hangs out with light people all the time? Now, keep in mind, Dreadlords are Dreadlords. Could they have planted that there for us to find so we'd suspect Lothraxian? Maybe, but still, you kind of have to check up on it anyway because they're devious enough to do it knowing that we would know that they're devious enough to do it. So that we would go, oh, well, this might be a trick. And that might be the trick. Because this is, again, Dreadlords we're dealing with. Uh, so, yeah, Lithraxian is definitely a loose end that needs to be checked up on. There's, and there's more. Uh, the whole deal about what Caliamenophil actually is. It still isn't resolved. Even though we get a yeah. little bit of that with, with 9.2.5. There's there's a bit of, uh, there's a quest line that is really intriguing. Which is, it ties into this, but also needs to be explored more. And it's the... Uh, taking back Lordaeron and that deals with some of that. It starts setting that up for further exploration and not just further exploration, but further conclusion. Uh, but there's, there's Odin is another big loose end too. And we talked about, we talked about this before in the past, uh, you know, besides making Matt, his Pokemon, uh, he has been not inactive after I'm afraid he's going to turn me into candy guys. I'm sorry. I'm really scared <laughs> about it. Uh, or at least he's going to feed your rare candy. One or the other. Um, you uh, trying to think how to phrase this. What if he tries to evolve me? (laughs) I don't want him to use the Thunderstone on me. But he, once he was freed from his prison, once he wasn't fully locked into, uh, his little Valheim, uh, place, Halls of Valor, uh, even though he really wasn't, but he was definitely afraid of Helia. And now with Helia being mostly in the Maw, uh, and her minions trying to summon her back, but also failing in doing so, he definitely felt safe enough to go back to uh, Northrend. He went back to Alduar, and we know that he's there, and we know that Mimron's there, and we also know that something happened there, because at the end of Battle for Azeroth, when we're linking all of the Titan facilities together to eradicate Nazoth using the reorigination beam, uh Mimron says no, hangs up and cuts off the facility from the rest of the facilities. And Odin's there. What are they doing? Why why is he there? Why would Mimron also cut us off? That's another loose end that should be explored. We haven't gone back to Alduar. We haven't even given it a a second thought after all that stuff happened because immediately after Nizoth was done, we're ferried off to the Shadowlands uh in search of Anduin and all the other heroes that had been uh, swooped away, and then the Helm of Domination being busted. There's a lot of loose ends there, too, that could be very easily explored. And the best thing about all this is, is every single one of these 
is something that is a loose end that is not necessarily universe shattering, but isn't unimportant either. These are things that have implications that have been carried throughout expansions and will probably have bearing like Lithraxian as well. Like we just did the unseen servant thing. And what if, you know, we've, we've seen uh bloody heck. Why can't I think of his name? Paladin in charge of Stormwind now. Cadgar. And it's not Cadgar, although he is very much. No, no, well. you're right. It's not Cadgar. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man. I knew his name too. Until Turalyon. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't really seen Turalyon. He's sort of in charge of things. Dreadlords can impersonate other folks. That is a huge component of the Shadowlands story, uh, and including going through the sepulchre of the first ones and dealing with, like, when you go up to uh, the Dreadlord fight, which is Malganus, and I can never remember the other one's name, but, like, before you engage them, if you just watch, they're transforming themselves into different people back on from Azeroth's history. One of them happens to look a lot like Magda Grimtotem, uh, but... Lothraxian could be possibly impersonating uh, Turalyon and he pulling the strings. He doesn't have to be just impersonating him. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be the first paladin. He wouldn't even be the first of the five first paladins to have a dreadlord hollow him out and wear him like a suit. Yeah. Because Satan Dathrothan would like to say hi. Except he can't because Balnazar hollowed him out and wore him like a suit. And Lothraxian has had the advantage of being Cadgar's bestest buddy for a very long time because they were trapped in the Twisting Nether where time doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so he literally spent like a thousand years with Lothraxian and, as his as the Starsky to his hutch. And and Lothraxian is implicated in the book, the journal at the uh, the meeting place of the Unseen Servants when we, when we find yep. that hidden thing. Lothraxian is implicated there. Is there a reason that all of that light was was funneled into them? Maybe it was because that was the only way to hollow out Turalyon and take over his body. Because Turalyon is a being that can channel the light. Well, if Lothraxian is made of light, maybe it makes it easier. Maybe it means that that's means. Because also, uh, you know, Turalyon's wife, Valeria, has not been around. She's been busy doing her her own things, trying to figure out what's going on with her sister, uh, both sisters, traveling to the Shadowlands, being there for the trial of Sylvanas, essentially, at the hands of the Arbiter and the people there, and, and dealing with the aftermath of what she did to the World Tree. And not only that, but also like dealing with the Void Elves and trying to set them up and making sure that they're okay while battling the Void, which we know is constantly, constantly in her head. It's constantly trying to get her to do things. This is why this is one of Nazoth's dark dreams, right? Like, it's not because, oh, it's maybe a possibility. No, we know from the comics, we know from the things we've read with her that it's a constant battle that she has to keep in check. And we know that, uh, I can't remember his name, Locus, uh, Locus Walker. Locus Walker flat up tells her this, that it's going to be a constant struggle for control and you can never waver for a moment. So she's not paying attention to what her husband's doing. She's not there. She's not there to see what Trillian's doing it every second. And again, Greymane, who is also there, is so hyper-focused on the survivors from everything that happened with Darnassus, trying to help run a kingdom, trying to help do anything he can to keep the alliance together and going while Anduin and other leaders are gone, including Jaina Proudmore, who is probably one of the most influential folks to try to unify the alliance at this point, besides Anduin and keep them together, is gone. So would his wolfy nose maybe smell a dreadlord? 
who the heck knows? Maybe, maybe not. But it definitely, if it is the case, but that, that's again, that's another loose end. I want to see us revisit some of these things. And these are all intrigues and plots and things that could be huge crescendo moments in epic storytelling that don't necessarily deal with the fate of all reality, but could have those ripples of effects going forward for anything that happens after that. Anything else to add, Matt? I mean, I mean, we could keep going, but I think we probably have given you enough for right now. <laughs> but I think that's going to do it for us unless there are anything else you want to add. No, no I think we're good. Okay, so we're going to end with one final thought or a final question then. Aside from anything dealing directly with the dragon flights, which is something we've definitely discussed and we've gone over multiple times, is there anything else that you are looking forward to potentially becoming uh, maybe not necessarily a B plot or maybe like an A minus plot, a sub A plot to Dragonflight. That's something you you would be excited to see come to the forefront. I mean, there's lots of stuff. Um, I honestly don't remember what I was thinking because you brought up Alduar mm-hmm. and my brain is like, wait a minute. This Titan facility in the Dragon Isles was tears. It was. And was were the dragon isles an island or were they connected that, to the land we well, don't know the, actually we do they were an island before even they were an island before the sundering they pointed that out in the previews for dragonflight that this was always a separate thing so tier had his own little lab off in this place um Neltharion was there doing research that they all knew about to make dragon like beings the drakthir and we know that there's other dragon-like beings who work for the various dragon flights, like the uh, Draconian... And the Draconoids. The Draconoids and the, and the uh, Dragon Spawn. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is there, a, like, is there a correlation between whatever's going on in Alduar and the ley lines getting strong enough for this place and the Dragon Isles to activate? And if so, is that related to, say, the fact that the Nexus has been kind of dormant for a while? Mm-hmm. because the nexus was a titan facility that was a titan built structure yeah yeah um, it was worm, wasn't it worm rest temple titan built structure mm-hmm. was you know the dragons were clearly aware of and part of the titan network before Loken pulled his little stunt is there a relation between these things is is what's odin we knew odin doesn't approve of the dragon flights and we know odin can see into the shadowlands because of the connection he has to his eye. Is there a reason, like, is Odin doing something now? Is it, is it, yeah. I would not be surprised to find out. Cause keep, keep in mind too, Odin is one of the, the, the figures who beat the elemental Lords in the first place. Yeah. This is and why like his, he's got that, that fiery beard. It's not a fiery beard. It's, it's part of yeah. his face. That's melted from fighting Ragnaros. It's permanently melting and constantly exuding from his face. That's what that is. It just looks like a beard. It's actually like he went up to he went up to Rag and Rag jammed his hand on his face and just melted it. And his face is just forever melting. It never cools back down, which in of itself, like that shows you just how strong Rag actually was. And is um, like Ra- Ragnaros, like until we did what we did, he was coming back stronger. Like we fought like shades of him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, who, for all we know, he, he might even reform in and- the elemental plane. Uh, it shouldn't happen, but you know, weirder things have happened, but like, I'm just saying there's all this stuff that we don't know the connections on yet, but we do know that there I... is a connection because keep in mind too, when 
we were doing all that stuff and we contact Mimiron and he cut the line, we were tapping into the power of the dragon aspects. Even though the dragon aspects don't have it anymore, it's still there. And we were using it on our heart of Azeroth. Mm-hmm. And what's that? You know, does that mean that they can be aspects again? Does that mean like we've got the like the green dragon flight and the Emerald dream. That's the whole connection. We talked about that earlier in the show. There's, there's just a ton of stuff that could happen and that I'm really interested in seeing you. I think, yeah, yeah, there's just, there's a ton. I would love to see if like what this place was, what tier was doing here, um, what it has to do with Neltharion making the Drakthir, what the Drakthir have to do with the, with the uh, Draconi, Dra- Draconids and Dragon Spawn. Mm-hmm. Like what all these things, like, it's like, it's like dominoes. There's, there's a ton I would love to see. I want to know what's going on mainly with the Valkyr because we know for a fact that a couple things, right? One, and this ties in with the Odin thing, the Valkyr that are working for Odin that he's been creating to ferry souls to him in order to make his army of Pokemon, uh, they're able to travel between realms of reality, just like the ones the Lich King made. We know this because we see one of them, one of them in the Shadowlands when we're dealing with the Odin's eye thing. We don't see any more of them. And you think that they would be invested in helping us, especially with putting an end to Helia and her reign, which is another loose end that we just do not deal with. Helia is still somewhere around in the mall or at least somewhere. No, she's not in the mall. Primus banishes her. That's right. That's right. The Primus does banish her, but we don't know. That's a whole other thing going back to the prime. Does she go back to her realm? Does she go to Azeroth? We have no idea. But what is her realm at this point? Is it the, is it a pocket dimension that she's created? Is like you said, is it Azeroth? You think the Valkyr would have been interested in being involved in that and taking the fight there, especially with the perceived slight of the, uh, essentially the, the Forsworn, the Mossworn being dark Valkyr. They're not Kyrian really. They're dark Valkyr. Why didn't we have them helping us? Why weren't they helping Farius into the Shadowlands? Because they very clearly could. We know this from the Sylvanas book that the ones that the Lich King made definitely had that ability. And this is after the Lich King had been resisting whatever pull that the the Zolval, I'm not even going to call him the Jailer at this point, that's a whole other topic, but that Zolval was trying to push through the helm on him. There's an entire camp up there that we don't know if Olvar did anything with remember that the camp that had all those physical trials in order to be raised into Valkyrie. Yeah, absolutely. They're still there. Like did, Oh, and it's in Northrend. We know Odin's in Northrend. Did he go, Hey, by the way, time for you to become real Valkyrie and do exactly what he was doing before and causing them causing like the Vrykrul to, you know, challenge and fight for the honor of becoming the next Valkyrie, but just doing it in Northrend instead. And if so, what is he doing with them? Especially now, especially now that we know that there's so many planes of existence, it's super important, possibly catastrophic, but not right now. It's a mystery. So I I really hope that that does come up again. I hope that something happens with that. But I do think that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, All of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard as well as 
the game industry and tech industry as a whole as they work towards unionization and demanding a change for a better tomorrow, safer work environment and equal representation. We congratulate Raving QA on their success and hope to hear more success stories in the coming future. If you have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, please be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it is for. We'll be more than happy to include it into our repertoire. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can have your message highlighted in our Patreon queue and podcast questions channel on our Discord server. We do look there, and as a matter of fact, every question we have answered on today's episode was pulled from that channel. We try to give you a priority as a way of saying thank you for letting us keep the lights on. If you can't support that, we understand times are tough. We do have another channel on Discord as well. It is the Q&A podcast questions. I did also pull several from there as well, Uh, but we just, again, specify what show it is for. So I do want to thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll see you next week, folks. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.